What he was saying, Dana, was my personal fecal containment system is getting full. <laughs> Hurry. <laughs> would have been a black hole. No, sorry. Would have been a brown hole. At least in his shorts. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Damn It, Jim, the podcast. A fun and fascinating look at the very influential Star Trek, the original series. Once again, I'm your navigator, Dana Smith, and our captain of inappropriate comments is my good friend, Dan Calzaretta. Good evening, Dan. I, I'm not sure how to take that. I mean... Uh, <laughs> you got a promotion. <laughs> I got a promotion. That's fucking awesome. Wait, was that inappropriate? <laughs> well, Dana, the comments that make it in the podcast are nothing compared to the comments that don't. Uh, you're just trying to work up people that like be begging for the uh, uncensored Damn It Jim podcast. So. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Dan, uh, before we dive into the Tholian web, mm -hmm. I wanted to go back to last week's episode a little bit. I had some questions that have been bothering me. Okay, I'm here to help you, Dana. <laughs> I almost believe that. Uh <laughs> So in the world is hollow. What if the asteroid Yonada was going to go to the Bobby Darren planet? What if that was their destination and they weren't going to crash into it? They're going to hit the brakes before they got there. <laughs> you know, so what if by setting them on a new path, maybe they're going to crash into this other planet now? Yeah, I mean, my original impression from that episode was that they were going to the Bobby Darren planet. Yeah, wouldn't it be odd if they uh, go back, you know, what they say, like just over a year and, you know, take McCoy back there to see his girlfriend and and uh, they're like, hey, there's supposed to be this planet here. It looks like a giant asteroid hit it. <laughs> it's like, what's all this space debris? You know, it's like, yeah, hmm, doesn't make sense. Well, let's turn around and go home. Yeah. Yeah, I know. It was weird. Yeah. But what, what else you got? Uh, we, we kind of touched on this, the Oracle. Mm -hmm. So I would think they'd had to disconnect the Oracle. Otherwise they're just being, nothing changes. Yeah. You know what I mean? Seriously. And, and she said something about like, she needed to stay there to help guide the people or something. Right. You know, and she seemed like a nice person. Yeah. She mostly did. Yeah. So I don't think, you know, she was going to like torture people. No. Like the Oracle did. I mean, we don't know. They just go, oh, they're on the right path to the right planet. And the Oracle's still like, you know, causing people brain hemorrhages and stuff, you know. Maybe the Oracle was the inspiration for Alexa. <laughs> There's times I think uh, she's giving me a, a tumor or something. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> With me saying Alexa, everyone listening to this podcast who has Alexa now, they're trying to shut that damn thing off <laughs> yeah. because I said Alexa several times. Yeah, and she's saying, sorry, I cannot perform that function right now. So it's a... <laughs> Wait, that's Alexa or the woman in the show who, who's... <laughs> we'll be sitting around at night and all of a sudden she'll just say, sorry, I can't find that song. See, it is weird, Dana, all that stuff. It's always listening. I'll be talking to someone, not on the phone, just in person about anything, you know, whatever. And then I get an ad shortly after that, about this random thing that I was talking about. Wow. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's the future, Dan. Anything else that I can help you with, Dana? I mean, that you're struggling with? Yeah, we don't have that much time, Dan. So, uh, <laughs> but thanks for offering. Sure, yeah. 
Do you have any thoughts about uh, last week's episode you want to share before we move on to the listener comments? Yeah, I, I think the idea of this oracle needed to be really dealt with in that episode because it was like a dumb oracle, you know, not a smart, it was not like a smartphone. It was a dumb phone. <laughs> yeah. We did get some comments from our listeners. So uh, our good friend Tang Dan said, learn what it means to be our enemy before you learn what it means to be our friend, which is a direct quote from uh, The World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. Wait, that's all he did was copy and paste? He didn't like say anything else about it? Yeah, I think that says a lot. Our friend Stephen DiPiro said, the most awkward and uncomfortable kissing scene in cinema history. Hmm. Referring to uh, the way McCoy kissed What's-Her-Face. Yeah, I don't remember her name either, yeah. The episode was forgettable, Dana. That's I just can't remember it. Uh, Jim Hill wrote one of my favorites. That episode, you mean? Yeah, uh, maybe he meant our episode. Oh, I think that's what he had to mean, yeah. When, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Our good friend Steve Hosa also shared a picture of Kate Woodville, uh, who played that woman who we can't remember. And, uh, <laughs> and it was signed, you know, to him. And uh, so that was very cool. So it's neat that he got to meet her. Dan, do you have any email or YouTube comments? Dana, yes, we got some emails and YouTube comments. First, in regards to us bringing up North Shore adult diapers again last week, Lou from Canada writes, again, eliciting diaper companies for sponsors. I mean, I, I think it's a good idea, Dana, but... That's a great idea. Yeah. And then he goes on to say about the episode for The World is Hollow and I Have Touched the Sky. I like this episode because it gave McCoy a romantic interest. He further states, I often approached women to worship my instrument of obedience. I really have no game. Well, Lou, keep trying. I'm sure something will come up. J.D. Lewis sent us another fun fact. J.D. says, fun fact. According to various interviews, Christopher Plummer not only preferred appearing in Star Trek VI over appearing in The Sound of Music, he actually despised being in The Sound of Music. If the star hates the movie they're appearing in, you know that the movie is bad. Thanks, J.D. It looks like I'm in good company for my dislike on this one, Dana. No, no hatred. Just, just dislike <laughs> of that musical. My wife was shocked to hear that you did not like that. That's one of her favorite movies. Okay, uh, moving on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's all I have for today, Dana. Well, that's good. And thanks for writing. Thanks for keeping in touch. Uh, once again, we do have a phone number. Dan, do you want to share that phone number? Yeah, maybe I should double check the number. And I, maybe I've been giving out the wrong number. I don't know. <laughs> but the number is 509-676-6298. We would love to hear from you. So please give us a call. And pretty soon we're going to give away some uh, Damn It Jim podcast polo shirts. And I think one of the things we have to do is make it that you have to call in to get to get one. Yeah, that's a good idea. Now on to uh, the Tholian Web. It's season three, episode nine. If you're counting down, we only have 15 episodes left until the end of the original series. We start off with Chekhov and Sulu at their stations. Everyone is watching the viewer screen with great interest. We get the uh, captain's log started 5693.2. The Enterprise is approaching the last reported position of the starship Defiant, which vanished without a trace three weeks ago. He adds, we are in unsurveyed territory. 
Now, that is something we've never heard before in Star Trek. <laughs> well, not unsurveyed, right? I mean, they said they've been in unexplored space. Uncharted. Uncharted. Yeah, which is the same thing as unsurveyed. You would think so. so, yeah. Spock reports that according to their instruments, space itself is literally breaking up. Scotty says the warp engines are losing power and he can't explain it or find the cause. And Chekhov reports there's an object dead ahead. So they move closer. Spock says there are no sensor readings. They see it, but sensors indicate it is not there. Now, this has also never happened. Like the big hand in Who Mourns for Adonais, and I'm sure some other episodes. <laughs> <laughs> but off the top of your head, that's pretty good. Yeah, so. Oh, thank you. As they move closer, we see a uh, green glowing starship. Kirk says it's the Defiant. And Uhura reports she has been trying to hail them, but is getting no response. I really like the special effect of the kind of the green glow that the ship had around it. Yeah, and it uh, at times looked kind of wavy. It was kind of ghostly looking. Yeah, ghostly. That's exactly the term for it. Yeah, I like that. It was, it was like a ghost ship. They reach transporter range and Kirk goes to the transporter room with Spock, Chekhov, and McCoy. And Scotty is left in charge. In the transporter room, the team is in spacesuits. Uh, transporter guy says they are locked onto the Defiance Bridge. I just had a question, Dan. If sensors say the ship's not there, how can they lock onto anything? Yeah, that's a great question. I had the same thought when I was watching the episode. I don't know. You can't. I would say you can't. <laughs> Could they approximate, you know? I wouldn't want to take that chance, <laughs> especially in those flimsy looking spacesuits they had on. I mean, the, the the helmet looked like a beekeeper's kind of helmet, didn't it? Yeah, it did. Or mask or whatever you call it. Kind of cool that they mixed it up a little bit, you know? They beam over to the Bridge of the Defiant. They got there all in one piece, apparently. And they see what appears to be the captain and an engineer and a dead, but they're like locked in battle position kind of thing. Like the engineer has his hands around the captain's throat. They're kind of on the floor. They are on the floor. They they are on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> kind of draped over a step too, it looked like. Yeah, but they're dead. They're dead. And again, never seen anything like this where they transport to another ship and the crew has killed each other, right? That's yeah. never happened. Never. So they don't <laughs> they don't reuse stuff, Dan. No, so. no, no. No. So McCoy does a reading while Chekhov asks if there has ever been a mutiny on a starship before, and Spock says no such incident has ever been reported. Wrong. We'll have to discuss that one later. McCoy checks the dead men and says the captain's neck is broken. Uh, I thought he was going to say it, Dana. I know. He's just a, being an ass already. <laughs> so uh, <laughs> Spock says the ship is still functioning. He surmises the mutineers must be somewhere else on the ship. After a scan is done, McCoy reports there are no life forms on the ship. Hmm. Just like there are no life forms on Yonada. Yeah. Yeah. So I think their their instruments are faulty. Yeah, they need to calibrate those, yeah. So Kirk sends Chekhov to engineering and McCoy to sick bay, and he orders Spock to stay with him. Like <laughs> so here's what's funny about that. He's like, you two guys go up on your own. Yeah, we're not moving from the bridge because this all looks weird and we don't want to get in trouble anywhere. You call if you need help, but otherwise we'll <laughs> see you later. So uh, back on the Enterprise, Sulu says that the Defiant is drifting away and Scotty orders that they stay within beaming range. But they both seem kind of like leery of the what's going on with that ship. Yeah, I would be, yeah. So in engineering, Chekhov sees more dead bodies everywhere. 
McCoy sees the same thing in sickbay, men strapped to the medical beds and on the floor and stuff. Chekhov looks around, sees more bodies than he saw before in engineering. He reports to Kirk, and then suddenly he feels kind of woozy. He kind of stumbles and things look a little disoriented to him. And uh, it seemed he looked like he was losing his balance. Yeah. Kirk calls McCoy and asks what everyone died from. McCoy says they all killed one another. Is that a technical? <laughs> That's the uh, technical jargon. Yeah. Technical so, jargon. Yeah. So Kirk asks if some disease could have caused this, like Mad Crewman disease. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> from eating infected. <laughs> You know, meat substitute from the replicators? Yeah, could be. So McCoy leaves sickbay and sees a crewman dead on the floor, but something looks odd. So he bends down and tries to touch the crewman. His hand goes... (laughs) (laughs) His hand goes right through like it's a projection. And McCoy says, what the devil? Uh, McCoy goes to a desk and he puts his hand through the desk. So he reports to... Kirk that the ship is dissolving. How come the floor is not dissolving? That would have been cool if he like just fell through the floor. Yeah, into space. <laughs> I mean, he had a space suit on, right? Didn't he? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So he would have been fine. For a little while. <laughs> Everybody on the bridge is like, hey, do you see McCoy fell through the ship? No, I didn't see a thing. <laughs> <laughs> His oxygen is going to run out. Oh, we just phasered him. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Put him on the tractor beam. Oh, that's the phaser. Yeah, so. <laughs> Poor McCoy, man. We give him a lot of crap. Yeah, well, this season he deserves it. So on the Enterprise, we see the image of the Defiant looking a little more transparent. Sulu says the Defiant is starting to disappear. And Scotty calls the transporter room. We see O'Neill working on the transporter controls. And Scotty asks if the transporter is working. And O'Neill says, not yet. Scotty leaves Sulu in charge of the bridge and goes to the transporter room. On the Defiant, Spock says the Enterprise is being affected just as the Defiant was. Kirk calls Scotty to transport them out, but Scotty says, the transporter isn't working right now, and he can't transport them out all at once. And it's funny because they go to the transporter room and Scotty's standing by the transporter console. All of a sudden, O'Neill like pops up next to him with this <laughs> funny look on his face. <laughs> it's like, I don't think they were trying to fix the transporter console. I think they were doing something else. <laughs> now, Dana, that's that's my job to say those oh. things. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> Scotty says, that ship you're in is fading out. And it's ripping the innards out of this one. It's jamming our transporter frequencies. I've only got three of them working, and I'm not sure of those. One of you has got to wait. Kirk orders Chekhov and McCoy to beam out. Good to test the system with those two. Exactly. Thinking, you know, so. <laughs> exactly right, Dana, yeah. Kirk's like, I'm not going first. No. And uh, so then he tells Spock to go as well. And Spock requests to stay, but Kirk says request denied. And Spock's like, but they said the transport is a little iffy. <laughs> <laughs> I know what you're doing here, Jim, and I don't like it. So Scotty tries to beam the three men out, but they don't dematerialize right away. Finally, after three tries, the men beam aboard. Then they try to bring Kirk aboard and nothing happens. We see Kirk is still on the bridge of the Defiant. Chekhov goes to the monitor in the uh, transporter room and we see the Defiant disappear. Just gone. Yeah, just like kind of faded away. It's funny that viewing screen in the transporter room is not always there. Just when they need it to be. Right. Exactly. (laughs) 
Next, we see Scotty working on the, the transporter console with O'Neill. Scotty comes up and says, that's it. I've done all I can. There's nothing out there to grab a hold of and bring in. There is under here, though. <laughs> I got a hold of O'Neill pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> he says, when that ship went, it must have taken the captain with it. He's just like giving up. Yeah. He's like, oh, well, let's get the hell out of this space. You know, no <laughs> chance we'll ever recover him. <laughs> He's a goner. See, come on, Mr. Spock, you're in charge. <laughs> I wish we would have left McCoy as well, but there you go. Maybe if we beam McCoy over there, get the captain. <laughs> oh, that would have been a good idea right there. So on the bridge, a little bit later on, Spock asks the computer to calculate the next period of spatial interphase. And computer says, next interface, two hours, 12 minutes. <laughs> I love doing the computer voice. That's one I've got down. Yeah, it's good. So Scotty says, two hours and 12 minutes. That power leak has unbalanced the ship and she's starting to drift. I can't hold her in place that long. Spock says, we must try, Mr. Scott. The fabric of space is very weak here. If we disturb it, there'll be no chance of retrieving the captain alive. See, once again, I, I just don't know how he got that all figured out. So Chekhov seems to sneer, saying there's nothing special about this region of space. Spock steps forward. It's like, okay, let me give you the basics of you know <laughs> space interface and stuff and he starts to explain that the section of universe is overlapping with another and Chekhov just looks like he's pissed off <laughs> well i would be too it's like okay <laughs> i didn't ask for a freaking dissertation <laughs> on this whole interface thing i just made a stupid comment i didn't ask you for this yeah so but you're the acting captain so i suppose i gotta listen to you <laughs> and pretend like i care <laughs> Wait till McCoy gives you a rash of shit, then I'll, I'll be on his side. <laughs> <laughs> Spock adds, the universes are dissimilar, and any use of power could disrupt it. Suddenly, Chekhov loses his shit and he's yelling, <laughs> and died like him! <laughs> and he attacks Spock, and then he attacks Sulu. Sulu's chair gets knocked over, and it always bothers me, like when the chairs get knocked over. Don't you think that's something would be bolted to the floor? Down? Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, for all the times they've been jolted and shocked and turned, you know, thrown about. Right. That seems like a, an object could really hurt somebody if it went flying across the room. Yep, it so. would. So Scotty tries to get a hold of him as McCoy enters the bridge. McCoy tries to help. Spock comes up and grabs Chekhov by the face and tries to talk to him. And we see kind of from Chekhov's point of view and Spock's all distorted like a fisheye lens and... Chekhov screams and screams again. Finally, Spock gets tired of Chekhov screaming, just does the Vulcan nerve pinch on him. Why didn't he do that from the start? Spock calls for security. Security arrives and McCoy orders him taken to sickbay and put under restraint. After Chekhov is taken away, Spock says Chekhov showed a murderous fury. The same as what seemed to take place on the Defiant. McCoy says he is concerned that this disease could be communicable. Sound like an STD, Dan? Space-time distortion. That's what STD stands for. <laughs> well, they call them STIs now, so that would be space-time interface. McCoy suggests uh, the further they distance themselves from the Defiant, the better. And Spock explains if they want to save the captain, they have to stay where they are. And he gives him a whole dissertation about like the whole thing. that Because he, he, th he thought, well, Chekhov didn't get to hear it. I got to tell somebody. <laughs> yeah. 
So McCoy is going to sit here and listen to me. Yeah, so. I'll give him the neck pinch right now. Yeah, who cares how many sick people he has in sick bay that he's ignoring? Yeah, but McCoy asks if he's sure Kirk is alive, and Spock goes into the long explanation. Basically, says it's reasonable to believe that he could be alive. But it's funny. Usually, McCoy is the one, you know, like you got to save Jim. You know, it's just in. Now he's like, ah, he's dead. Let's get the hell out of here. <laughs> he sent me over as like a test in the transporter beam. So screw that guy. <laughs> so Sulu says there's a ship approaching on an intercept course. Spock orders a red alert. The ship stops 90,000 kilometers away and Uhura reports she's receiving a visual. So we see the image on the screen. It's a red figure that looks like it's wearing a helmet with a kind of a blue blurry background kind of scary looking yeah and i remember seeing this as a kid and it kind of like freaked me out yeah so the alien speaks a little bit like the ship's computer is like i am commander Loskin. <laughs> that's good <laughs> says you are trespassing in territorial annex of the Tholian assembly the Tholian assembly is what i meant to say uh, <laughs> you must leave this area immediately Kind of like Pee Wee Herman and the computer got together. So they had a child. <laughs> yeah. They met in a movie theater. And they're not wearing any pants, huh? <laughs> Put your hand in my popcorn, huh? <laughs> That's not butter. That poor guy, man. He, ne he never le lived that down and then he died. You know, it's too bad. He, I think he was a pretty decent human being. He was a good guy. He did a lot for kids. He was on the dating game once. Did you know that? I did not know yeah, that. Yeah, he didn't He didn't win. He did not win, but he yeah. went as Pee Wee Herman. Oh, really? Probably why he didn't win, yeah. So Spock says, according to the Federation, this area is free space. And Loskin says, uh, we claim this territory and are prepared to use force if necessary to protect our property. Spock replies, we are not interested in your display of force which that could be the best line of the show so far. But I've, if you want to know about this interspatial thing, I got... I... <laughs> if you got a couple hours, <laughs> let me explain this to you. <laughs> like I'm ready. I'm ready to talk about this. I'll, I'll, I'll beam over. How about if I just beam over? <laughs> he says, we are on a rescue mission. Do you care to assist us? We need one hour and 53 minutes and ask them to stand by. And the Tholians agree to wait one hour and 53 minutes. In the sickbay lab, McCoy, Chapel, and a tech are working away. McCoy says that they need to find the right filtering agent to solve this problem. Dana, hold on, hold on. All those like spray bottles and the... the... <laughs> <laughs> I was waiting for you to comment on those. In 1968, did this stuff look futuristic? I mean, didn't they have at like restaurants little plastic ketchup bottles and stuff? Maybe they didn't, I don't know. But that's what it looked like. All these weird plastic bottles and spray bottles and squeeze bottles. It just didn't look futuristic to me at all. They did have the one spirally thing tube that looked like it had blood going Yeah, they it. did have that. Yes, you're right. Well, Dana, as the captain of inappropriate comments, I think I need to make a comment about Nurse Chapel's outfit. Oh, no. <laughs> all I'm going to say, it was very angular. <laughs> yeah, it was pointy. Pointy. Uh, yeah. So I was afraid if she turned too fast towards uh, Dr. McCoy, would lose an eye or something. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so uh, the tech starts acting funny. And, and I mean, like we see things from his point of view and uh, things are distorted. The whole fisheye lens thing again, right? Yeah. But uh, I tell you, talk about pointy and that fisheye lens. Ooh. So Chample goes to leave and the tech goes after McCoy with some kind of metal bar. 
And Chapel turns just at the door and warns McCoy. McCoy and the tech end up wrestling around. We get another stuntman for McCoy, by the way. So bad. So yeah. bad. I mean, it was very obvious, Data. The hair was different. The shape of the body was different. Right. Yeah, I mean, it's, yeah. And the other thing is, he was fighting back. McCoy wouldn't. <laughs> what got me is, why did Chapel even turn around at that moment? Yeah, that's a good, yeah, good point. Finally, uh, after they wrestle around for a little bit, finally Chapel grabs a hypo and gives the man a sedative. And, and it's just kind of funny. They just have those hypos laying around. You never know when you're going to need that. Meanwhile, Spock is communicating with Scotty in the transporter room. He tells Scotty to lock on the captain. And Scotty tries, but Scotty reports that the captain is not in the designated coordinates. McCoy calls up to the bridge asking if Kirk has been beamed aboard. He says the disease is not transmitted by the men. He says the cause is the area of space we're in. It's affecting the whole crew. The molecular structure of the brain tissues in the central nervous system are distorting, and the madness that affected the Defiance crew will soon happen here on the Enterprise. He says you've got to get this ship out of here. So he's saying let's just leave Kirk behind. Yeah. So then Sulu reports they're being fired upon. The ship is shaken. Spock says the renowned Tholian punctuality. So Dana, it seems like it's implied that Spock knows about the Tholians. Not that they just met, but that he's heard about them in the past. Yeah, I had the same thought. And so as we go on, I'm kind of expecting that they'll have other comments about the Tholians. Right. Spock says engineering hold power steady and cut off all unnecessary expenditures. And he orders Sulu to divert all but emergency maintenance power to the shields. Sulu looks at Spock and says, but sir, that'll reduce our phaser power by 50%. And Spock says, I'm getting the Mabinga out right now. <laughs> Seriously, did you see the look he yeah, gave Yeah, it was him? actually a really good look. I liked it. Yeah, and Sulu just turns back to his station and does what he's told. This guy says, I know you don't like to use the phasers, but you've got to do something about that ship out there. Spock orders Sulu to lock on phasers as McCoy enters the bridge. McCoy says, what's the use of this battle? We've lost Jim. Take the ship out of here. And Spock locks eyes with McCoy and tells Sulu to fire. Oh, hold on. Hold on, Dana. Why is he on the bridge again? <laughs> Look, I, I was starting to feel, you know, a little bad for McCoy and I was not going to, you know, be mean to him in this episode. But come on, why, why is he on there? What Spock should have said was, Sulu, fire phasers on Dr. McCoy now. (laughs) But it's great when he orders the fire, he's still staring at McCoy. Like, you know, you're lucky I don't shoot you. I mean, Spock had some really good scenes in this episode. Oh, yeah. I think it just goes to show when Shatner's not in the episode, the other characters or the other actors really get to shine. So this Tholian ship is thrown backwards. Spock says, uh, engineering status report. And Scotty says, Spock, that hit from the Tholians has fused our power supply converters. I can't do a thing with the Enterprise now. She's bound to drift, maybe right through the doorway out there. There's a doorway out there, Dan? <laughs> I, <didn't see> it. <laughs> I just imagine that doorway from the Twilight Zone that comes and the door opens oh, up yeah. and like floats past. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Spock says, can you estimate minimum time required for repair? And Scotty says, I don't even know she can be repaired. <laughs> Again, we've never heard Scotty say anything like this. And now McCoy is staring holes through Spock, and he says, Spock, why did you do it? The decision to fight was logical. Lack of time prevented any other course of action. The Tholian ship had to be disabled. You should have known what could have happened, and done everything in your power to safeguard your crew. That is the mark of a starship captain, 
like Jim. And Spock says, Doctor, I hardly believe this is the time for comparisons. Please go to your laboratory and drink some poison or something. (laughs) Finally, though, Dana, finally, he tells McCoy to get off the bridge, you know? Yeah. It's like, that's your primary task is to find the antidote. And so McCoy storms off. Sulu reports another Tholian ship is approaching. We see the two Tholian ships kind of back up to each other, and they slowly start to move away from one another. And Nuhura asks, what is that? And we see they're creating like a string link between them as they go separate ways. Spock says uh, he will run an analysis and ask Sulu to switch scanners. Spock reports there is no data about this in Federation databanks. But yet they knew about the Tholians, Dana. Yeah, my thoughts exactly. Actually, I said it the same time you did, but you did. You want to take all the glory. Okay, don't worry about it. <laughs> I'll cut myself out. <laughs> so we see the ships have structured many lines now and are starting to go diagonally. It's like they're making, I don't know, a Tholian web? Or a macrame. Yeah. <laughs> but would it be macrame or would it be knitting? What What's the difference? Oh, probably knitting. Yeah. Macrame has knots and they weren't doing knots. No, they were not doing knots. No. Remember macrame when it was like big in the 70s? Oh, man. And they would make like plant holders yeah. out of the, the macrame plant holders and stuff. I made one for my mom. Oh, really? My mom had a lot of plants. I made a macrame plant holder. Spock adds, it is, however, an energy field. But hold on. What, you, you think it's knitting, but what's it between <laughs> knitting and crocheting? And crocheting. Yeah. I think it's the way you use the needles. Okay. I think like in knitting, you go like up and inward, and in crocheting, you go across and over. <laughs> I don't have the faintest idea, Dan. <laughs> well, as the uh, captain of inappropriate comments, I'd like to say that what you were just describing there was Spock during Ponfar. <laughs> Oh, I always get that confused with knitting and crocheting. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've got no clue, Dana. Really? Okay. Well, Spock. So- although, sorry. Although I, I got to say, <laughs> okay, I'll I'll get the ramble jar out here. But I was on an airplane not too long ago, probably in the last year, and someone had knitting needles on the freaking airplane, like knitting. Yeah, like those couldn't be weapons. I know. Yeah. So Spock says, uh, it is, however, an energy field. And if the Tholians are successful in completing this structure before we have completed our repairs, we shall not see home again. That was a great line. Yeah. Gave me chills. And uh, Sulu's saying, good, because I don't like home. Home suck. Godzilla. <laughs> Next thing we see is a wide child, the Enterprise, and the Tholians working on their quote-unquote web. And then we see inside that uh, they're in a chapel, or I believe it's like same place where they're going to do that wedding uh, back in season one, I think it was, maybe two. Yeah. Spock is uh, at the podium as several of the crew members are gathering in. Uh, McCoy enters. Spock says, your time is more valuable in the lab. McCoy says his team is working around the clock and the service requires his personal attention. So he goes and sits down next to Scotty. Spock goes back to the podium. He gives a recap of the events of what's happened so far through the show. He says that they have to understand that Captain Kirk is no longer alive. And a cheer went up from the people. Well, something went up. Just then a crewman goes bananas and uh, he's like screaming and starts like knocking people over. A couple people restrain him and he gets carried out and 
<laughs> McCoy once again yells, put him in restraints. <laughs> <laughs> well, in the way that he was kicking and thrashing. Oh, man, that was wild. You think Spock would have just gone up and down the nerve pinch. It would be easier to carry him to sickbay that way, you know? You know, you, you mentioned that this room was probably the room where they had that wedding in yeah. season one. I, I think you're right. I think it was. But there were not that many people in the room for Kirk's service. And the other thing is they weren't broadcasting it throughout the ship like they did the wedding. I mean, here's the captain. He's dead. And they're not going to broadcast it to the rest of the ship? Everyone settles back down. Spock goes on, says, out of honor and respect for the captain, each of you must evaluate this loss in the privacy of your own thoughts. And so they all stand for a moment. Then Scotty dismisses everyone. It wasn't that long, though, Tana. It was like a few seconds. Yeah, it was like 10 <laughs> seconds, maybe. Yeah. McCoy goes to Spock and says he and Spock must go to Kirk's quarters and divvy up his goods. Yeah, uh, so. <laughs> <laughs> that would be funny. <laughs> like, what has he got in here? We know he's got to have some good stuff hidden in here somewhere. <laughs> so he says that uh, Kirk left a message for Spock and McCoy to review in the event of his death. And Spock says he has more pressing needs, but McCoy insists they go and do this. In Kirk's quarters, McCoy is looking at a medal Kirk had received. He says uh, he was a hero in every sense of the word, yet his life was sacrificed for nothing. I don't get that. Yeah, well, I thought, you know, Spock was going to get on the intercom, paging Dr. Mabinga, <laughs> paging Dr. Mabinga to Captain Kirk's quarters stat. <laughs> I'd see him like go over to McCoy and go, you know what it means to be schmittered? Yeah, Because a... <laughs> <laughs> Mabinga's going to schmitter you all over his wall right here. McCoy says the one thing that would have given his death meaning is the safety of the Enterprise. McCoy goes on being a dick, asking why Spock stayed and fought. <laughs> uh, Spock says, I, I don't need to explain myself to you or anyone else on this crew. While there was a chance, I was bound legally and morally to ascertain the captain's status. McCoy says, you mean determine if he was dead. Well, you guaranteed that. In, in other episodes, and I think you mentioned this already, McCoy would be complaining that he left too early and didn't try to save the captain. And now he's like, you didn't leave early enough. So Spock enters the combination to the captain's safe and opens it up. Spock pulls out the disc from Kirk's safe. So uh, Spock puts the disc in the computer and stands. He says, if you believe I have acted irregularly, then relieve me of duty. That is your prerogative as a medical officer of this ship. Or give me some fiber if I'm irregular. <laughs> do something as a doctor. Yeah, for once on this show. Yeah. So, <laughs> so just then, the, uh, Kirk appears on the screen, and the message basically says, Spock, you're in charge. Do the best you can. And if you need help, seek out McCoy's guidance. Mm, yeah, probably not going to do that. <laughs> then he says, McCoy... Spock is the captain, and you should help him, not hinder him. He says, Spock is half human and will make mistakes, but Spock is deserving of the trust and faith you have in me. So, Dana, that's it? That's the message? I mean, it was a lot longer than what I said, but... Well, I would have thought that Kirk would have said something like, and also burn all the tapes in my safe, especially <laughs> the ones with the names of all the yeomen who have been on the ship the past three years. Yeah. Like, get rid of those. So uh, both McCoy and Spock look uh, affected by what they've just seen. McCoy finally apologizes to Spock. Scotty calls and said they have a readout on the Tholian field, and Spock says he'll be right there. He turns to McCoy and says, 
we each have our tasks to complete before the Tholians complete theirs. So they made up. So next we see Uhura and her quarters. Her space looks bigger than the captain's quarters. I don't know if you noticed that. So. Oh, no, I didn't. But she does have kind of a nice room. Yeah. She's got a long flowing gown on. It's very colorful. She looks up and sees Kirk in the mirror. It's it's like an image of Kirk. Yeah. And so she calls to him and he looks like he's floating and then he disappears. She goes running out of her room and sees McCoy and says, I've just seen the captain. McCoy goes, of course you have. (laughs) (laughs) What have you been drinking? (laughs) He says, we'd all like to see him. And she tries to convince him and she says uh, she's not going mad. And then she passes out. In engineering, while the crewman looks ill, he tells Scotty he's okay. Scotty calls up to the bridge and asks if they're slipping into interspace. Spock says, no, we're relatively stable. Then Scotty sees Kirk floating above the upper deck in engineering. And he says he can't believe it. Then Kirk disappears. And Scotty tells Spock he just saw the captain as McCoy enters the bridge once again. (laughs) Once again. Yeah. Does he not know the way to sick? Come on. Spock asks Scotty to report to the bridge. McCoy says, that's the same thing Uhura said. He asks, do you suppose they're seeing Jim because they're losing faith in you? Oh, that's just, <laughs> that's an awesome comment. <laughs> I'm really surprised he didn't slap him right there. <laughs> if I was Spock, I'd say, why don't you get in the ion pod? I've got a theory I want to test out. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. I mean, didn't he just apologize yeah. to Spock down in Jim's quarters? McCoy says it's getting critical. There are reports of assaults and even Scotty's been affected. He says, if Scotty goes down, then we'll never get out of here. Spock says, I realize that the crew are your prime concern. You can best serve them in your laboratory. Did I mention the laboratory is not the bridge? (laughs) (laughs) McCoy grabs the arms of the chair and spins Spock towards him. Must be this space is getting to me too. I I know it's nothing you've done, Spock. I'm sorry. I understand, Doctor. I'm sure the captain would simply have said, forget it, Bones. Yeah, no, the captain would not have said that. So Scotty comes on the bridge as McCoy collapses and Spock holds him up. Scotty looks towards the science station and says, Spock, look. We see Kirk floating there, looking like he's trying to call out to the crew. Spock goes towards him and he keeps saying, Captain, Captain. It looks like Spock's going to reach out to him and then Kirk disappears. And he is mouthing something, you know, like he's trying to say something. I actually took lip reading, Dane. I don't know if I ever told you this. And I could tell what Kirk was saying. Please do tell. What he was saying, Dana, was my personal fecal containment system is getting full. <laughs> Hurry. That's what he said. Wow, that's different from what I thought he was going to say. So. <laughs> I mean, he was worried about it leaking into inner phasal space or what was it called again? In, inner <laughs> interphase space. Interphase. Yeah, he was worried about it leaking into the interphase. I was going to say, it probably could have broke through the Tholian web, though. Could have. Would have been a black hole. No, sorry. Would have been a brown hole. At least in his shorts. So, <laughs> <laughs> so in Spock's quarters later on, I'm assuming, <laughs> he and Scotty are looking at the computer screen. So he says the next interphase will occur here. And Spock asks Scotty if he can be ready. And Scotty says, we'll be ready, but we'll only have about 80% power built up. And Spock says, it will have to do, Mr. Scott. Just then, McCoy enters carrying a beaker of something that looks like Tang or orange juice. Once again, I bet they were using Tang. I really do. Oh, yeah. I mean, it was the thing back then. 
Yeah. I asked this before. Do they still make Tang? Yeah, we looked it up. Uh, you can buy it on Amazon. So McCoy says, I found a cure. It's the derivative of Theragun. He pours three glasses and hands them to Scotty and Spock and then takes one for himself. And Spock says, Theragun? A nerve gas used by the Klingons. Hi, I'm deadly too. What are you thinking of, Doc? You're trying to kill us all. If I remember correctly, it caused fatality only when used in pure form. That's right. And in this derivative, mixed with alcohol, it merely deadens certain nerve inputs to the brain. Oh, well, any decent brand of scotch will do that. That's a great line. That is a great line, Dana. So McCoy says, one good slug of this and you can hit a man with a phaser on stun and he'd never feel it or even know it. And Scotty says, does it mix good with scotch? McCoy says, it should. And Scotty picks up the flask and says, I'll let you know. And he leaves <laughs> with the rest of the flask, which is the cure. <laughs> on the bridge, we see the Tholian ship still creating the web. The uh, ship it takes is still... them a long time, doesn't it? Yeah, well, it's only two ships. If they had more, they would be able to do it. Right. The ship is on red alert. We see Chekhov is back in his chair and Uhura is at her station. Spock says to check off your ex. <laughs> your accent. It's horrible. Your accent was keenly felt. <laughs> Wait till you hear these guys on the podcast do it. <laughs> In Russia, accent is always bad. <laughs> so Spock says to check off your absence was keenly felt. Oh, absence. Okay, yeah. Checker reports two minutes to completion of the Tholian web. As they count down to the completion of the Tholian web, McCoy and Chapel come to the transporter room. Back on the bridge, Kirk appears on the view screen. Chekhov reports they're being pulled out. Spock orders to maintain position, but Sulu says he can't. Spock calls engineering and orders the ship's power brought on full. And Scotty throws a switch and the ship is jolted. Next thing we see is the ship is like in pure darkness. Then all of a sudden, all the stars appear. Spock says they've been thrown clear of the Tholian web. Did you understand how that worked, Dan? No, no. <laughs> no, no clue. It's because they're in inner space, yeah. not not interface. Oh, so. sure. Oh, now it makes all perfect, perfectly clear, <laughs> Dana. Yeah. So he says because they had locked onto Kirk before, he should have been thrown clear with them. Oh, yeah. Again, makes sense, yeah. Perfect sense. I'm, I'm following him 100%. So then they see Kirk on the screen. Spock tells McCoy to be ready with the triox compound as Kirk is just about out of oxygen. Spock orders the captain beamed aboard. We see O'Neill work the controls, but Kirk doesn't fully appear. O'Neill keeps working the transporter controls. Suddenly, Kirk appears. After a few seconds, he finally stabilizes. He drops to his knees, and McCoy and Chapel run to him. McCoy gives him the shot, and Chapel takes his helmet off. McCoy says, welcome home, Jim. Later, on the bridge, Kirk is in the command chair, and Spock and McCoy are on his left. Kirk is saying, I had a whole universe to myself after the Defiant was thrown out. And it was great. McCoy was not there to bitch about one <laughs> thing or another. He says, there was absolutely no one else in it. I must say, I prefer a crowded universe much better. Without McCoy. And then he looks at the two gentlemen and says, how did you two get along without me? And McCoy says, well, I found the cure and Spock gave the orders. And Kirk says, no problems between you two? And Spock says, none worth reporting. And so Kirk presses for clarity. And Spock says, only such minor disturbances as are inevitable when humans are involved. And McCoy says, uh, he means when uh, humans become involved with Vulcans, Jim. 
Kirk says, ah, yes, I understand. Well, I hope my last orders were helpful in solving any problems that you don't feel worth reporting. Akoya says, what orders are you referring to, Jim? Kirk says, my last orders, the last orders I left for both of you, the last taped orders. What part of the last orders are you not understanding? <laughs> <laughs> last, as in final. <laughs> McCoy says, oh, those orders. Well, there wasn't time. We never had a chance to listen to them. And Spock says, no, you see, the crisis was upon us and then passed so quickly, Captain, that we... And Kirk says, good, good. Well, I hope we won't have similar opportunities to test those orders. He kind of looks at the guys and like he doesn't quite believe. And then he looks ahead and says... Ahead, warp factor two, Mr. Sulu. Sulu says, warp factor two, sir. So that's how this episode ends, Dan. So, Dana, you have some information to share with us about this episode. Yeah, Dan. Uh, I don't know if you realize, but Chekhov apparently was the official screamer of the crew. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I I didn't realize it till I was reading about it, but he screams in Mirror Mirror. Mm -hmm. He screamed in The Deadly Years, Day of the Dove. Yeah. This episode, The Tholian Web, mm -hmm. and still to come, The Way to Eden, and of course, the movie, The Wrath of Khan. Right. Yeah. So I think he screamed more than anybody else on the ship. He he has to have screamed more than anyone else. I totally agree with you. And it's not just like a good scream. He needed some scream training, it seems to me. Uh, Dan, this also marks the first time in the original series that the crew wore spacesuits. In the naked time, they wore protective biohazard suits. The spacesuits were designed by William Thies and were made uh, primarily from silver lame. The helmets had a screen mesh visor to allow the actors to breathe easier. Which is kind of important. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, and these suits, Dana, were one piece with the exception of the helmet. So if the actors needed to go to the bathroom, they had to remove the entire suit, which really slowed down production. And the original director of this episode got fired because they got half a day behind. And I think it's because... They had trouble getting out of these suits to go to the bathroom. Wow. Yeah. That's something you don't think about. Once again, North Shore adult diapers could have come to the rescue. They should be a sponsor, Dana. One of us was supposed to call them this week. <laughs> also, Dan, the Tholian uh, Loskin yeah. uh, that we see on the view screen, he was actually just a puppet that was created by Mike Miner. And uh, it was actually voiced by Barbara Babcock. Do we know who Barbara Babcock is? Has she been in any of these other episodes? Yeah, Dan, she was also in uh, Taste of Armageddon as the uh, blonde that uh, when they first beamed down to uh, the planet, she kind of escorts them around. Oh, right. She had a lot of uh, screen credits and actually she appeared on Dallas for several years. Hmm. She was also in uh, Hill Street Blues, Dr. Quinn Medicine Woman, uh, for which she received an Emmy nomination. Wow. She's still alive at age 86. <laughs> Dan, do you have any themes or dilemmas to discuss? It seems to me in this one, Dana, one of the themes is what length would you go to in order to save a friend? And Spock really wanted to keep going, make sure that they save Kirk when McCoy's like, hey, let's just hightail it out of here. The dude's dead and you're going to put us into danger. How about you, Dana? What about a dilemma for you? It's the test of leadership and friendship. And it's something we've seen before. Being a leader is not easy. Being a friend while you're a leader can be equally tough. And so I think that's one of the things you see come out in this episode. 
Dana, what about a best part of this episode for you? Dan Spock in command. He's uh, very assured and direct and just I, I felt comfortable with him being in command. How about you? Do you have a best part? The interaction between McCoy and Spock. I mean, it was adversarial at parts, but we do see the relationship is getting more developed this year beyond just the jabs and the jokes that they make at each other's expense. And this episode and last week, both of them indicated that they that they felt friendship toward each other. How about another best part for you, Dana? Uh, the Tholian appeared to be non-humanoid, strange background, you know, in a weird atmosphere. Didn't, you know, really uh, get to see more of it. I remember as a kid, I wanted to see more, even though it scared me. How about you, Dan? Do you have another best part? The web. I really like the idea of trapping the Enterprise almost like a spider, you know, would trap its prey. I kind of like that idea. Dana, how about another best part for you? Dan, I know this was confusing and stuff, but the whole idea of uh, fractured space and overlapping universes, I found that really, the, the concept's very interesting. When I have time, I want to look that up and see if there's something something to that. And then give us a dissertation, like many, many hours long. <laughs> like Spock wanted to do, yeah. Dana, how about a worst part for you? Dan, I know you just said that you like the banter between uh, Spock and McCoy, but McCoy's blatant disrespect for Spock on the bridge just drove me crazy. When he yelled at him the first time on the bridge, Spock should have just thrown him off the ship. You know, and just like, here, we'll tie a tether around you, see if you can catch Jim. I'm sure he's out there somewhere. So, <laughs> Dan, do you have a worse part? The screaming of Chekhov. <laughs> you said that he was kind of the designated screamer. How about a worse part for you, Dana? It's funny. Scotty tells Spock to do something about the Tholians and use the phasers. So Spock does. And then Scotty's like, well, you screwed us now. <laughs> <laughs> It just was inconsistent, you know, so just I, that bothered me. Uh, do you have another worst part for us, Dan? Uh, once again, Dana, the plastic bottles in sick bay. <laughs> I mean, I know they were on a budget in season three, you know, and that, that it was a tight budget. But come on, couldn't they have something a little more futuristic looking? Dana, how about another worst part for you? Well, this is something we kind of alluded to before, but we didn't uh, go into detail on the renowned Tholian punctuality. Spock says that says it, making it sound like the Federation was very aware of the Tholians, but nothing further is discussed. Like, you know, what else they can expect from them? Do they know they do this web? Do they, you know, know like what their faults are, what their weaknesses are? None of that ever gets discussed. And I think that was maybe like a, a big miss by the writer. Dana, what happened on this day in history? Dan, this aired on November 15th, 1968. The number one song in the U.S. is Hey Jude by the Beatles. And in the U.K., The Good, The Bad, and The Ugly by Hugo Montenegro and his orchestra and chorus. Dan, also on this day, a suspect was arrested in England's Kennock Chase murders, where four young girls, ranging from age 5 to 10, had been killed in Staffordshire since the summer of 1965. Not a whole lot was happening on the uh, 15th, Dan, so I reached out to the 14th, and I found this uh, very interesting. Yale University announced that it would admit women students for the first time as 267-year history, beginning with the 1969-1970 academic year. November 12th, Year old buddy Sammy Sosa was born in the Dominican Republic, played for the Cubs for a short time, and hit 609 career home runs. 
And did all kinds of steroids and other drugs. And finally, Dan, uh, with uh, Super Bowl coming up this coming weekend, I had to include this. November 17th, what would become known as the Heidi game in professional football took place when NBC television network abruptly halted its broadcast of an American football league game between the Oakland Raiders and the New York Jets in order to telecast its scheduled Sunday night movie, Heidi. (laughs) Almost as bad as the freaking sound of music, Dana. (laughs) With 65 seconds left, Oakland had the ball and was trailing 32 to 29, and television viewers nationwide were unable to see what happened next. If you want to know, Oakland scored two touchdowns to win the game 43 to 32. The NBC network telephone switchboard were tied up with calls from angry viewers, followed by universal criticism of the network and the press the next day. Since then, American TV networks have delayed scheduled programming in order to show sporting events in their entirety. I bet, yeah. As for Heidi, the telecast was the top-rated television program of the week of November 11th to 17th. Yeah, that's because everyone's television was tuned to that. (laughs) And then they were busy making the freaking phone calls. Yeah, so nobody changed the channel. Yeah, that's it, yeah. And that's all I got for uh, on the state and history, Dan. Hey, Dana, how about if we get into the counts? Yeah, definitely. How about the dead grooming count this week? Dan, I think there's uh, something that went on in, in season three that we have not seen before, and that's they didn't want to kill any of the crewmen. Uh, we are at 47 and a half still. No, nobody died this week. Once again, if we could count the crew of the Defiant, we'd have 400 plus dead. Yeah. But unfortunately, we can't. How about the shirtless Kirk Grip shirt Kirk count? No, he was uh, fully clothed and then some throughout the episode, so we're still <laughs> at 18. And the he's dead count? It looked like he was going to say it, but he didn't. So we are still at 22. All right. And then the one that I know you're going to get upset about, <laughs> and I think they're toying with us at this point, Dana. I'm a doctor, not a fill in the blank. No, he didn't say it this week, Dan. And, uh, so we are still at eight. All right, the supreme being count. No, we are still at 11. The violation of the prime directive. We uh, didn't have one this week, and we are still at 12. All right, taking over of the enterprise count. No, I think uh, McCoy wanted to, but he just didn't have the balls to do it. And uh, (laughs) so we are still at 13. And finally, who's commanding the enterprise count? Dan, I want to see if you confer with me. I have four. So uh, Spock was two times, Scotty once, mm-hmm. and Sulu once. Yep, that's what I have as well, Dana. So that actually raises raises us up to 38. All right. That one is growing weekly, you know? Yeah. Well, Dana, I actually enjoyed this episode. I, I made some fun of it, you know, during our podcast here, but I think this is one of the strongest episodes in season three for sure. Yeah, Dan, I I agree. I think right now this is uh, what I would consider the best of season three. And uh, it had like a good tension to it. And there was the uh, ticking clock that uh, we saw a lot in the uh, first and second season. And uh, the whole concept really kept things moving. I, I enjoyed this. Yeah, I did as well. And we also got to see Spock and McCoy and Scotty. I didn't time to see how many minutes each were on the screen, but I'm guessing it was pretty equal. And Shatner was like out of the picture for the most part. Yeah, but I mean, the story in a lot of ways centered around him still. Without us having to see him or listen to him speak. 
I mean, the, the cast probably really appreciated that they didn't have to hang with him, you know, this week very much. Yeah, I thought uh, Sulu would have more time. Must have pissed somebody off. So it didn't have a <laughs> Well, lot. he was gone for a long time filming the Green Berets. Maybe people were mad at him for that. Yeah, it could be. Oh, Mr. Movie Star. Yeah. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, Dana, once again, had a great time talking with you about this episode. What do we have coming up next week? Dan, next week is the uh, rather famous or infamous, depending on where you're from, Plato's Stepchildren. Yeah, we will have a lot to discuss next week, Dana, I think. Yeah, I think it's going to be a, a fun episode to review. Thanks to all our listeners for their continued support and friendship. Thanks for keeping in touch and uh, writing. And don't forget, we do have a phone number, and uh, it's going to come in handy here pretty soon when we decide to give away the rest of the uh, Damn It, Jim polo shirts. Dan, what is that phone number? The number is 509 676 6298. The call is absolutely free, and we would love to hear from you. Dan, as always, it's a true joy to talk about Star Trek and hang out with you for a couple hours. So until we meet again, live long and prosper. Thanks once again for listening to Damn It Jim, the podcast. We'd love to hear from you. Please send us an email at dammitjimpodcast at gmail.com or join the discussion on YouTube, Facebook, Instagram, or X. You can also call the Dammit Jim hotline at 509-676-6298. Enjoy the rest of your week, and as always, remember to live long and prosper. This has been a Ramble Jar production.